Okay, why don't we just open our Bible then, Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. And uh, thank you, worship team, it's been great. We, uh, I just started last week, I shared with you uh, the beginnings of a series just on extravagant love. Extra- do you like extravagant? Extravagance is a good one, isn't it? Offering, I forgot the offering, did I? Oh, well, I suppose we better start. I knew there was something I'd forgotten. I'm trying to work out what it was. Anyway, so I forgot the offering. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Robbed you of a chance to do something wonderful for God. Now the musicians have all gone. Praise the Lord. Well, it doesn't matter. Why don't we just uh, take up the offering? <laughs> or I'll forget it for sure at the end of the service. Father, we just thank you. You are a great and a wonderful God. We can never outgive you. Never. And we thank you, Lord, that you give us such opportunities day after day to experience your blessing. Today is the day we want to give to you. We want to give to you and honor you, give to you and thank you, give to you and say, thank you, Lord, for your abundant blessing. Thank you, you're our provider. And thank you, Lord, no matter what's happening around us, as we continue to acknowledge your Lordship by our giving, we can expect your blessing and continued provision. Amen. Praise the Lord. Why don't you take up our offering right now? We don't need any music. We just get someone to take it up. And you can give someone next to you a high five. Take the money out of their hand and put it in the bag for them. There you go. If you haven't got anything to put in, you say, look, give me some money to give, would you? I don't want to be mean with God today. <laughs> hey, it's good, isn't it, eh? Very, very good. Well, while we're doing that, why don't we just get our Bibles open and uh, we'll get started. So I'll start again. Hey, we started last week on our series called Extravagant Love, and I began to share with you about the passionate love of God. And I happened to share a verse out of Song of Solomon, and uh, I thought some of the young people got that wrong. They thought I was talking about kisses and wine. I wasn't talking about that at all. And uh, the Bible says his kisses are better than wine. In other words, he's saying that the touch of God in our life is more intoxicating and has better effect on our life than wine drinking would have. But the Bible abounds in God's expressions of love. And, and we saw last week uh, this, uh, this verse, how God calls us to love Him. And that's what we're going to focus on today, is on loving God, wholehearted love of God. And uh, last week we were looking at how we love Him as a response to being loved first of all. In other words, God starts it going. God always sends people into our lives God sent His Son into the world. God continually initiates bringing us into relationship with Him. And we saw that God's love is extremely passionate. There's feeling and emotion. And we saw how He loves people. It's not the concept of God that many people have, but we looked through some verses in Song of Solomon, and it explained how deeply passionate God is. And I love that. We serve a loving, passionate God who desires to communicate but also requires and calls us and invites us to make a response. Isn't that fantastic? And uh, I, last week we looked into the story of the prodigal son, one of the most vivid New Testament stories to show what the heart of God is like. And uh, I have a picture I got off the internet. Uh, it's a picture by Rembrandt. How many of you know who Rembrandt is? Some people there, all the gray-headed people know Rembrandt. The others haven't got a clue. Well, he's, if you have one of his paintings, you'd be pretty wealthy, actually. You know, they're worth millions. And this is a, a great picture, if they can just get it up there for me. Can you get it? It's up. It's on the sides. Oh, okay, then great. Okay, then. Now, we saw last week how Jesus wanted to show people or talk to people what the Father was like. And so he shared a story of a lost uh, sheep, a lost coin, and then a lost son. 
And you remember in the story of the prodigal son, how he decided he wanted a life independent of his father. So virtually what he said is, Dad, I'd prefer you were dead. Give us the dough. I'm out of here. And that's what sin is like. We say, God, we want to, we want to carry on our life like you're not around. We just want to enjoy what you've given us and do our own thing. And so sin is like that. And so this young man went out into the world and uh, he had a great time. And then he used up all his money. There was a famine, unexpected famine. And he ended up in such desperate lack. All his friends that he'd made uh, with the money. Because you, when you got money, you got friends. You got no money, not many friends. Only authentic friends. He lost all his friends. He ended up so desperate that he got a job working for a pig farm, and even they, they didn't pay him any money. They just exploited him and said, if you want pay, eat the food the pigs have got. And so he was fighting with the pigs for the food. And uh, then he came, the Bible says, he came to his senses. He, and, and the thing was that, that turned his life. He, his life turned when he remembered the kindness of his father. And when he came, he, he, the kindness of his father turned him back when he remembered it. In other words, we respond when we experience the goodness of God. See, our love for God is birthed, it's a response to someone expressing God's love to us. Someone came to us, God sent them. Someone prayed for us, God called them to pray. And then he got us to an environment, and we began to feel the love of God. Before you know it, you're up the front, your hands are up, you're praying and you're crying, and you're wondering how you got there. And you weren't clever and thought, well, I'm just going to go to God today. God began to draw you, and then you were touched by his love and wanted to make a response to that love. And so the Christian life is a response to God's love, a continuing response. And Jesus wanted to show what God is like, and so he used the story of the prodigal son. And in the picture that's up there, it's a picture of the encounter of the prodigal son with his father. And it's when he has come back to the household and uh, you can see the father there. You can see the son on his knees before the father. You can see the older brother on the right. And you can see the servants in the background. And this shows, first you see the, 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 the prodigal son. And there he is. He's broken. His life is damaged. He smells. There's nothing lovable or attractive. He's got no friends. But there is one person who loved him and loved him passionately. And that was the father. And so you see, if you look at the father... He's bending over his son. His heart is very tender towards his son. The Bible tells us that when he saw his son, he was moved with compassion and ran to him and hugged him and kissed him. And you see the father there and his hands are over the son's shoulders. And he's bending over him and there's compassion and there's joy. And he's welcoming his son back. He's opening his heart to him. That's what Jesus wanted to convey, and Rembrandt has tried to convey that. Hundreds of years old, the painting, but nevertheless, you can catch the feeling on it. When you look close in the face of the father, you can see the emotion on his face. And on the side there, you can see the older brother. He had no revelation of the heart of God, and so there was pride in his heart and resentment in his heart, and he looked down and he judged his brother. Yet, if you, have a re if you don't have a revelation of the heart of God, you tend to despise others who are weaker than you. And he despised the younger brother, looked down on him. And he probably despised his father and judged his father. He was angry with his father and despised his brother. And finally, he left the scene altogether. And this man represented the religious people of the day who had no understanding of how much God loves people. 
They were supposed to represent the love of God to people. Instead, they just condemn them, judge them, and put burdens on them. And so you see the son, proud, standing on the right, looking down on the brother. This painting illustrates something of that story. And in the background, you can see the servants, and they are amazed. They're like the angels in heaven who watch the love that God has for us and sending his son, and are amazed. What is there about humans that God would love them so deeply? And so there's the story. Well, that painting's worth millions. And that's the painting. How much more must the reality be worth? The reality of God's love, the reality of God's compassion, the reality of his heart to reach out and put his hands around you no matter what you've done. And you need to keep that in your mind all the time. Otherwise, you'll subtly slip that if I just am good enough, God will like me or love me or I can get a blessing from God. Whereas God has a heart that's abounding and generous. He immediately transferred sonship rights and responsibilities back to this young man and restored him. What an amazing God we have. We love him because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. If any of you have experienced God loving you and putting your arms around you when you failed, and you felt his love and forgiveness and gentleness and grace, then you love him. The Bible tells us very clearly we love him because we've experienced his love. And so if we're going to walk with God, we have to continue to experience him. Meetings aren't enough. I must meet with God. I must feel his presence, encounter his presence, and I must learn how to respond. You ever noticed in a relationship, uh, and you can look at human relationships, that when uh, in a human relationship, person does not make any response, then very often the, the other one stops reaching out. Well, God will never stop reaching out. But he wants us to respond to him. And so we want to talk today, not so much about the passionate love God has for us, but we want to talk about wholehearted loving him back in response. You can imagine the oldest son there, how he lived in resentment that the father would so bless this younger son when, when he didn't deserve it. Now that's the interesting thing about extravagant. It's giving you something you don't deserve. Giving you something you're not entitled to, but going beyond what you would expect. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful thing. I just, I just love it. I love that God is like that. I love that God is so open and, uh, and so caring about us. That's God. That's what he's like. Aren't you glad? Aren't you really glad? Amen. Why don't we just lift our hands to the Lord and just begin to pray in tongues. Let's just express our gratitude to him, express our thanksgiving to him, and, and just honor him. What a great God we serve. Great God that we serve. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you. You're extravagant. You're extravagant. You go what's beyond reasonable or what's deserved, and you love us, and we want to thank you for that. Thank you for loving me, Lord. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for giving me a purpose and destiny. Thank you for surrounding me with wonderful people. Thank you, Lord. What a wonderful thing. So, we love him because he first loved us. Now, notice what the, this Matthew 22 says. Jesus said, they were asking, what's the great command? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And then there's the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. And this sums up the whole of the Bible. Matthew 20, 22. Isn't that amazing? So God is saying that the whole of all he requires for us can be summed up very simply in a wholehearted loving of God 
and then an overflowing fervent love for people they are deeply connected to one another you can't have one without the other you know it's great to have talent but if you don't create anything with it then it's pretty well useless it's dead talent it's uh, very good to have a love for God but if you don't do something with it it's not really an active love it's a dead love great to say you have faith but if you don't do something with your faith it's not an active faith so we can say I love God but he calls us to do something with that to express it in various ways and so we want to talk about wholehearted loving God now notice he says love the Lord with all your heart that's all your spirit all your inner man your desires and affections all your soul your emotions your all your mind your thoughts so God doesn't want a half-hearted kind of thing half-hearted means I'm indifferent I, I don't really care half-hearted means there's no passion in it half-hearted means I'm somewhat passive and shut down now God is not looking for a people like that God is wanting you to respond to him you know when he came into when Jesus came into town and everyone was shouting and praising and the Pharisees the religious people said tell them to be quiet it's not respectful he said if I shut them down even the stones will yell out all creation yells out praise to our God so God is looking for a wholehearted response to his generous extravagant giving to us he wants us to respond and we want to look at what that will mean and what that would look at say so I want to be wholehearted I don't want to be half-hearted nothing half-hearted pleases me you've had someone do a job for you that's half-hearted never a good job and you're never happy with it had a tradesman do something for you it's half-hearted it doesn't please you at all Never, it never quite makes it, but it costs you. And you have someone in a relationship and their boyfriend got a half-hearted response to you. Well, I don't think you'd be too interested. See, think about that. Marriage, husband's half-hearted towards his wife. I don't think, I don't think that marriage is going to be going too well. Would you think not? That's true. See, so what, what God is looking for is that we keep a wholehearted love for him alive. Now, you've got to keep it alive. I've met with couples and prayed with couples who were married many years, and in the course of many years, they gradually drifted apart. You know, it was not one thing. It was lots of little things, and then suddenly they found themselves where they shouldn't be. What happened? The extravagant love was lost on the way. The things, the little things that made the relationship work were lost. And so I want to share with you three key aspects of loving God. I'm sure there's others. These were three I looked at and thought of and felt the Lord drop into my heart. So I want to just uh, uh, share these three things with you. These, we can say, well, I love God. Come, come into church, well, I love you, Lord. We sang it, well, I love God. Wonderful. Now, I want to just share with you three aspects to loving God. So loving God is not just about words. We engage Him in our heart and spirit, and also it overflows to the world we live in. And you'll see very clearly from the Bible that loving God has not just a spiritual, eternal dimension to it, it has an overflow right now where we live and how we live. And loving God has to be expressed, to find its fullness has to be expressed in both ways. So here's the first one. Number one, if I'm going to love God wholeheartedly, I must choose to pursue His presence, to pursue Him. You have to make a decision to pursue Him to pursue engaging and connecting with him it's a decision to do that you know in mark chapter 3 and verse 14 the bible says this it says jesus chose the disciples to be with him and then to send them into the world to preach the gospel heal the sick cast out demons notice the priority 
The first priority was he wanted them with him to know him, connect with him, understand him, and to catch his heart and spirit. When the apostles were doing miracles in the New Testament, Acts chapter 4, Jesus, uh, the Bible tells us that the people looked at them and said, these guys are they're fishermen and ignorant people. I haven't even been to university, haven't trained, haven't done any stuff. Oh, they, they've been with Jesus. There was an overflow of his courage, boldness, and the dynamic of his life into them. And they could see it manifested in them. Now that's what that they saw they had they'd been with Jesus. They saw they'd been in his presence. So an important part of loving God, but not the full thing, is I must make a decision to pursue connection with him. And what are some simple ways that I can pursue connection with God? There is it's always very simple. Here's the first one. Very expressive praise. Very expressive praise is a way of opening our body, soul, and spirit wholeheartedly. So that's one of the reasons we have very expressive praise is because it's biblical and because it's part of wholeheartedly loving God. Have you ever been in a group of people and you got them to try, try to get them to sing a song and they, they just were half-hearted? It's actually better if they didn't sing at all. It's so bad. Don't you feel embarrassed? Sort of kind of awkward. There's something really flattening about something like that. But oh, and everyone, I was sitting there in the game there watching the cricket and the Indians are there and the Irish are there. The Irish are all got their green on and singing. Who was stirring. It was really stirring. And you see, so praise. Now the Bible says in Psalm 47 verse 1, it says, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Praise Him. Praise Him. Clap your hands, all you people. We should do that, shouldn't we? One, two, three. Hallelujah! Simply the best. Ah, oh, that's good. That's why we do it. It's in the Bible. David did it, and David was a great king. David even did more than that. He danced mightily. Whoa! See? Some of us can barely get a foot up, you know. <laughs> Just need to get going, you know, and praise the Lord mightily. See, praising shifts the atmosphere around us. One of the ways that we're wholehearted and loving God. Not the only way, but one great way of doing that. See, and the Bible says for everyone to do that. And another one is tend to worship. In John 4, 24, God is a spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit. I must let my inner man open out and engage with God. I have to make a decision to pour my heart out to Him. Now, for many people whose emotions have been shut down, that takes some challenge. Sometimes we need to be healed or delivered or released so our inner man can flow towards God, not just sing songs and enjoy an atmosphere, but allow our spirit by faith to connect with the one who loves us. There's a woman in the Bible, I think in Luke chapter 7, and, and uh, she had an alabaster box. She came in, and the Bible says she loved much because she was forgiven much. And, and she probably had a very broken life and Jesus had forgiven her and touched her. And she comes in and there she is. She, she doesn't worry about anyone else. She's extravagantly loving Jesus. And Jesus commended her and said, what she did will be re rehearsed for generations. The half-hearted worship was never recorded for generations. 
fact, God says he doesn't like the half-hearted thing. They come there with their lips, but their heart's far from me. He said, I'm not into that at all. God wants passionate worship, passionate worship, passionate, fervent worship. And we have to learn to do that. We have to learn to speak words of love and words of affection for him. Speak in time. Speak in the language God's given. And let your heart flow to connect with God. Not just sing songs and have a service. Connect and love him. It's a person we're loving. We need to express that love. He wants to enjoy the relationship with us. Another way we can uh, develop that, that expressive love for God is by meditating. Meditating is one of the most powerful ways that you can open your inner man to connect fully with God. You take the Word of God and you begin to picture it and use your imagination to see Scripture, the, to see the stories of men encountering Jesus, to look into it and, and allow your heart and emotions to feel the truth. And when you do it, you begin to connect with God and you become touched and changed. Over this last week, I've seen people encounter God and He stepped in as they did exactly that, just opened their life to meditate and to allow their imagination to go into the Word of God. And they began to encounter God most wonderful thing to see people weep and hear God speak to them and, and God touch them and set them free. And uh, we have to see that's something we do. Now, of course, everything is competing for your time. So if you're going to love God with all your heart and soul and mind, you have to take time to let your mind be trained to focus on God. It's a discipline. Most people can't sit still for just a few minutes. It's a discipline for my mind to remain connected to and focused on the Lord until I begin to engage Him and there's a life flow comes. So the strong praise breaks the heaviness and control of your body and your soul's uh, heaviness. The um, tender worship and affection expressed, you begin to connect with Him. But as you begin to meditate, you become conscious of Him and you start to experience loving Him. It's the most wonderful, wonderful thing to just experience loving God. And most people don't do it. They're too busy. They close their eyes and see bad pictures. So we've got to paint those pictures out with the blood of Jesus and allow our heart to focus and connect with God. You need the experience of God, not just knowing about Him. And as you begin to discipline and, and, and allow your life, and train your life to picture truth, you can take scriptures. You can take this one of the prodigal son begin to just meditate on it and begin to put yourself in the picture, see it and imagine what that must have been like. Begin to look for the details and ask the Holy Spirit who reveals Jesus to reveal the heart of God in that story and then see yourself like that son going to the Father. It's extraordinary how Scripture, as we meditate in it, can just come alive and we begin to engage God. It's most wonderful. I've been in some of these Scriptures and then just began to weep. I could feel what that man felt. And, and see, so, so if we're going to love God wholeheartedly, I must train my mind to focus for periods of time and meditate so I can engage with God. What you focus on, you open yourself to. And we live in a culture which is full of technical, uh, one of wizards, really, all sorts of wizardry. But here's the problem. It dilutes your capacity to imagine and to see and to connect in a very real way with God. One of the things perhaps some might fast off is all TV, all kinds of visual stuff, and then just take time to be with God, reading the Word of God, and then allowing yourself to meditate and engage God. That would be a good thing to do. It really would be a good thing to do. I find I, every now and then I just have to cut everything out so that I can just sharpen my attention again and begin to 
increase the, the, the presence and awareness of the presence of God. A wonderful thing to do. Another thing you need to do in pursuing God is to deal with issues very promptly. You know, in any kind of relationship, that love dies if you don't nurture it. And it dies by little things. Little disappointments, little offenses, little worries and anxieties, little distractions, little diversions. It, it just goes quickly. So you have to deal with them very quickly. You know, Martha was very, very busy in doing things for Jesus. And she got so busy doing things for Jesus, she ended up stressed out. And Jesus had to quietly put her right and say, there's something more important than just being busy with your life. You need to learn to prioritize time with me, personally hearing from me. How many of you are living off someone else's messages? And how many of you are hearing God speak? And then when someone preaches, oh, the joy that what they said confirmed what God had already been saying to you. Oh, that's another area, isn't it? So loving God involves, firstly, our pursuit of Him and engagement with Him from the heart and spirit. Okay, then now the second aspect of it, which is also very important, is, is my response to the Word of God. And you cannot disconnect or you can't separate loving God from how you respond to His words. And so heartfelt obedience to the Word of God is the significant way we demonstrate that we really do love Him. If you say you love someone, but you don't listen to a word they have to say and ignore them completely, you can't really say that love's very deep. You can imagine in a marriage, you know, if they, if they say they love one another, but neither actually listens to each other, and they certainly don't cooperate together, that can't be a very deep love relationship. Why would you think that you can build a deep relationship with God without actually learning His Word and being in His Word and hearing what He has to say about how to make your life run. And Jesus made that extremely clear. Uh, let me just give you a, a scripture which would uh, be very... In, in John 14 and verse 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one that loves me. And my Father will love him and we will manifest ourselves to him. So loving the Word of God. He said, well, not a good reader. Well, get, someone, get one of them on CD and just play it over or get it downloaded onto your iPod and start to play the Word of God. Let the Word of God come into your life and into your mind and into your heart and begin to find out what, let God speak to you about how to adjust your life. You know, the Bible tells us very clearly in all the New Testament how to live our life successfully. I found when I look at why people don't succeed, inevitably they violate God's ways. So if you were to begin to say, take just a simple scripture, honor your father and your mother, that it may go well for you. So you begin to meditate in that scripture, begin to think, well, what, what ways could I be dishonoring to them? In what ways would I honor them? And what will, this, what will this enable me to do in the relationship? And what can I expect God to do? See, it's very, very, very clear. And look, you know, there's a lot of decisions people pray about. You don't have to pray about it all. The Bible says what to do. And Jesus said, if you love me, then your heart will trust me that when I describe things in the Bible and describe things in my word, that's actually how life works and how you can succeed. If you love me, you'll trust that what I say will work out good for you, and you'll do it. Now, that's a key thing. A lot of Christians don't read their Bible very often or very frequently. A lot of Christians don't take much notice, but God wants the Bible to be worked into our lives. For example, you take a scripture, you know, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, uh, make your requests known to God, and the peace of God will keep your mind and heart. 
whatever things are good, lovely, just, true, and beautiful, of good report, think on these things. So, in Philippians 4. Now, so the Bible says, don't get uptight or anxious. I find a lot of people uptight and anxious. God says, don't do that, do something else. So what does it say to do then? It says, well, cast your cares on him, talk to him, make your needs known, and start to thank him and think positively. If you did that, you wouldn't need much counseling. Because you're doing what God says to engage him. It says, if you will do what he says, you're showing and demonstrating and manifesting your love, and you'll increase the dimensions of his presence working in your life. You can't separate. See, what the trouble is, many, of, many Christians want to come into an experience someone else creates rather than a lifestyle where they walk and enjoy God. And we must be diligent with the Word of God. Here's the, the third thing then is the area, and this is a really good one, and that is tangible kindness to people. Tangible kindness to people. Look at this in 1 John 4 and verse 20. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20. Now, love that isn't tangible in its expression is really not really a living love. Okay? So look at this in 1, 1 John chapter 3. I can find it there. 1 John 4 verse 20, here it is. It says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who doesn't love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he's not seen? Isn't that interesting? God connects loving him with loving people. Why, why is it? Well, God, you know, people, you're okay, but people are pretty, they just, they're a problem. Now, you see, what God is saying is something like this. You can't see me, but you can see people, and they're in your face, especially the ones you live with. And how you treat them reveals the dimensions of love you have inside you. So if you react to them and you're unforgiving and you're resentful and angry and in conflict with them, you show you haven't got much of my love inside you. We say, well, I love God. You say, well, I love the experiences of God, so I'll get in praying and I'll get in doing this and I'll get in up and spend hours in prayer. And this is wonderful to do that. But the measure of your maturity, not your experiences, your maturity is what do you do with people? If you withdraw from people, you show immaturity, not spirituality. If we react and upset and, and we're always abrasive with people, then we show our immaturity. We show that, yes, we say we're in love with God, but we actually are broken and damaged and not manifesting much of it. We need to change. Okay? We need to see people like he sees them. Great scriptures in here, aren't they? One, oh, I love these scriptures in here. Verse 1 John 3, verse 14. We know we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. You don't, don't love your brother, you abide in death. Well, how about that? So how can you know that you're in a place of life? How you treat people. So people who are in a place of life with God, there is something overflows that's positive, encouraging, nurturing, lifting, believing in, and activating people. Not judgmental things and all that kind of stuff. See, we have to understand that the, the dimensions of maturity we have are always reflected in how we treat people. If I want to know how deep your connection is with God, I don't need to listen to all your revelations. What I really need to see is how you connect with people. How you treat people. Is there a continued flow of kindness, generosity, abundance to people 
That is the measure and of the outworking of what you've got with God. We're, we're with, uh, I've known many people over years, and uh, particularly people who had a great revelation from the Word of God, great insights to the Word of God. But there was a bit of a problem. I found that when I was with them, it always felt like I never knew anything. It always felt like I was sort of inferior, and, then, and they were sort of so, so spiritual gurus. Used to feel a bit put down by that. And then one day, we, we said, why don't we have a group, and we just meet together, and we'll talk about how to make marriage work. And so we got the group and we brought out some material that would help make marriage work and they all said it was carnal and not spiritual and they refused to come. And then I got a revelation then that for all that they knew in the word of God, their knowledge of God and maturity was not deep because they actually could not outwork this in real life. And this is one of the troubles that we have is we can have great experiences with God, great insights from the word, but where the love of God is outworked is with that person next to you. That is the only way you can really measure in a tangible way what dimension of maturity you have in God in your life. Think about it. I've met other people who had wonderful experiences, but you know what? Problem was, they didn't know how to love people and they hid in the experience from engaging and loving people. Just as the other ones we were connected with some years ago, hid in the doctrine from engaging and loving people. The bottom line is, do we manifest the love of God or do we manifest religiosity? Now, when Jesus uh, told a story and he said it was a, there was a two men went into the house of God to pray. One was a tax collector and the other one was a, a Pharisee, one of the religious people. And the religious man said, oh, I thank you, God. I'm not like that other fellow over there, drunken boozer. I don't know why you've let him in here. He smells of booze. And the other one said, Lord, I'm broken and damaged. Lord, please forgive me. And Jesus asked the question, who you reckon went home that day right with God? The man who had a struggle with alcohol or the man who had a struggle with pride? The man who had a struggle with pride couldn't see his need. He was blind and didn't demonstrate the love of God. He demonstrated a superiority that looked down on others and found them lacking. The other man captured the heart of God when he says, God, I know I'm broken, I know I'm damaged, but I'm reaching out to you to forgive me. And that man who was forgiven went away loving God very much. And that's what Jesus wants. He wants us to be able to bring our experiences of him, our knowledge of him, into the reality of how we engage one another and the culture around us. So often people come and they have a wonderful thing and hold their hands up on Sunday and Monday. They're a monster. That's not Christianity. That isn't. It's just not coming to grips with the core of what, God Jesus, what Jesus said to us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Not just on Sunday. All your soul. That's your emotions and your mind. All your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. It should flow to where people are and engage them. I wonder what overflow is out of your life. I wonder if we connected with the people around you. Whether they would say that what you show on Sunday, you show on Monday through to Friday. Why don't we close our eyes right now? Thank you, Lord. Greatest, greatest thing we could do, any of us could do, would be to receive Jesus Christ, to open our life to the love of God. Jesus made it very clear that 
we're born into this world separate from God because of sin. Sin's just going our own way, doing what we want. But our life is always empty and miss, something's missing. Jesus came to reveal that love of God, to, to show us what God is like. And then he died on the cross to show us God is willing to remove every obstacle if we will just turn to him in love and, and in trust. You might be saying, well, I have to get my life all right. No, you don't have to. You just come to Jesus. He's paid the price for you to make your life right. You may say, well, I've been a, you know, coming to church for a while. Well, coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. What counts is your personal connection by faith with Jesus Christ. You may say, well, I've been trying to live a good life and try to do the best I can. Well, listen, you probably recognize if you think about it that the best you can has still got lots of things lacking in it. God called us not to just do the best we can. He wants us to be changed through a personal connection with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you must be born again. You must be born again. You must be born by the Spirit of God in your inner man, or you can't enter the kingdom of heaven or even see it. I wonder if there's anyone here today and you're right at that place of recognizing, I've been running my life without God just trying in my own efforts and strengths. That kind of life often is quite self-centered. We succeed, we feel real good and a bit proud. We fail, we feel quite guilty and condemned. Jesus said, I want you just to be able to enjoy me. I wonder, is there any person here ready to receive Jesus Christ to experience the life-changing power of God in your life? Would you raise your hand and let me know if you are? Just let me know I'm ready to receive Jesus, become a Christian. Please just raise your hand and let me know. I'd like to give my life to Jesus Christ. Just raise your hand and let me know if there's anyone here today I want to receive Jesus Christ. I want to become a Christian, give my life to the Lord and be changed on the inside. Is there anyone here today just at that place of decision? Thank you, Lord. I wonder if there are others here today and as you're thinking about it and have listened to me today or even just prior to this, God has been just disturbing you. You realize that you have drifted and become not extravagant and abundant in your walk with God, but quite, quite indifferent and quite passive. And, and just, you need to renew your commitment. You need to come back into relationship with Him. Perhaps you're struggling with people and you blame them and are angry at them. And God's saying, you're just exposing how much you need my love and grace operating in your life. Isn't that amazing? We want to grow and become all God wants, but in doing so, we have to deal with people. And they show us up. Often they show up just how self-centered we are. And maybe you're discovering that today. Why don't you just say, Lord, I need your grace to help me. I want to come near to you. I want to express my love more openly. And I want to learn to love people. I want to learn to show loving kindness consistently. If that's you, you felt God speaking to you today. I want you to just raise your hand and say, I know God's talking to me today. God bless. Hands going up. God bless him. Father, I just thank you. Well, the most simple way you can really tell is how mature you are is how you react when someone disagrees with you or points out something you did wrong. That's a very simple way of showing you maturity. Many of us could struggle and react with that. We say, God, help me. Help me to overflow with a passionate love for you and a fervent love for the people that you have sent me to and have brought into my life. May I continually be a blessing to them. May I show them and demonstrate to them your love and your, 
your kindness and your goodness. May my life abound with goodness and kindness. Lord, I ask that you will increase my influence upon the people around me by increasing your presence in my life. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Won't we stand in that song, finish with that song we were singing before. Wonderful song. Jesus, I love you.